morning, before we read our story, we're going to start with a little biblical history lesson. I'm going to go through it quite quickly. God promised Abraham more descendants than the stars in the sky. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, loved Joseph and Benjamin the best. Sold the, the other sons sold Joseph into slavery in Egypt. God was with Joseph, and he rose to second in command. Famine struck the land. Joseph's brothers came to Egypt looking for food. Joseph forgave them, and they all lived happily ever after in Egypt. That's Genesis. Up to now, the story is mostly about men. And we reach our story today, the beginning of Exodus. In the first chapter, I'm going to start at verse 7. The Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us do deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase and in the event of war join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom, and Ramses for Pharaoh, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah, and the other, Pua. When you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill it. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the banks of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her attendants walked beside the river, 
She saw a basket among the reeds and sent her maid to pick it up. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying. And she had compassion on him. This must be one of the Hebrew's children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's own mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The title of this sermon is A Woman Phenomenon. Exodus is the foundational story of God's plan to liberate people from the bondage of sin and degradation and create a new people governed by God's own law and led by God herself. Much of the New Testament draws on Exodus in order to interpret Jesus. And it begins with this courageous story of five phenomenal women. None of these women had any power by the world's standards, and only one, Pharaoh's daughter, had any privilege. And they opposed and thwarted the will of the most powerful man in the world. At the time, around 3,000 years ago, Egypt was at the height of its power. And in our narrative, Pharaoh is using the usual tools of the powerful to enslave the weak. Fear, negative propaganda, oppression, and violence. But Pharaoh's plan to enslave and exterminate the descendants of Jacob, who was named Israel by God, came into direct opposition to God's plan for the Israelites, to be fruitful and multiply. A nation shall come from you. And in this story, we begin to understand how God works out God's plans in the world. To use the things that the world considers weak, to use their strength, the strength that God has given them, the strength that the world does not appreciate or understand to bring about God's plan and humble the strong. And the world considers women weak. For the vast majority of the history of the world, in most places around the world today, including in our own country, and perhaps even within the depths of our own hearts, both men and women, we value the strengths of men more than the strengths of women. The world says that men are physically strong and aggressive leaders. 
world says women are compassionate, devoted childbearers. And so often, compassion is viewed as weakness. And childbearing, even in the Bible itself in Genesis, is cursed. Yet it is Pharaoh's daughter's compassion for a crying baby that saves the liberator and lawgiver, Moses. And it is precisely at the birthing stool, at the place of birth for the Hebrew babies, that God overcomes the death-dealing plans of the powerful to bring about her promise and command for the Israelites to be fruitful and multiply and become a great nation. And God does this through two phenomenal women named Shifra and Pua, who you've never heard of before, whose names you do not know. But history continues to be like that. It continues to be written about powerful men while God works through women that we've never heard of. Here's some other phenomenal women you've never heard of. Carrie Chapman Cat, Sue Shelton White, and Juno Frankie Hughes. 100 years ago this week, they fought the final battle for the ratification of the 19th Amendment, which when it passed in Tennessee made it part of our Constitution to allow women to vote. Cat was the president of the National American Women Suffrage Association and her protege of Susan B. Anthony. White was the chairwoman of the Tennessee chapter of the National Women's Party, and Pierce was an African-American community organizer in Tennessee in the vein of Sojourner Truth. According to historian Elaine Weiss, the arguments against women's rights to vote, the anti-suffragists would have been very familiar to Pharaoh. We perhaps explain why he thought only killing the Hebrew men would solve his problem. They said that women are too emotional, too intellectually inferior, too compassionate, too weak, and of course, needed to be at home with the baby. Yet Shifra and Pua used their intellect to trick Pharaoh. Moses' mom cleverly follows Pharaoh's commands and yet saves her baby by placing him in a basket in the river. Miriam, thinking quick on her feet, reconnects Moses to his own mother to raise him. And outthinking outmaneuvering was a powerful tool of the suffragists. Much like Pharaoh, fear was the weapon of the anti-suffrage, misogynist power. Yet, instead of, like Pharaoh said, defeat at the hands of outside enemies, it would be the moral interior collapse of the U.S. that would take us down if the women were allowed to vote. Yet I think Juno Pierce said it best, when explaining why our society needed to grant African-American women the right to vote. 
We are interested in the same moral uplift of the community that you are. You see, she understands and expresses that a society, a community, a church is stronger when everyone's voice is valued, when everyone's strengths are lifted up and everyone, men and women, are put to use in God's reign. See, God shows us that when she works through two midwives to show to save her people and grow them into a great nation, and God shows it again when she works through three activist women to get the right to vote in our country, and then later in 1965, the Voters' Rights Act through women like Ida B. Wells to give the same to the right of women of color. We continue to forget and neglect these stories, and our society continues to undervalue, underpay, and underutilize the strengths of women. And the powerful deploy fear and negative propaganda that would make Pharaoh proud, saying that there is a war on men. Yet the Me Too movement is truthfully the most recent resistance and counterattack in at least a 3,000-year-old war on women. And during this history of systemic abuse and subversion to men, God has been raising up women like Shifra and Pua, like Miriam and Carrie Cat and Sue White and Juno Pierce and so many other names that the male-dominated history books have erased, like Pharaoh's daughter and Moses' Moses's mom. And God is using their womanly places, like the birthing stool, and their womanly qualities, like Pharaoh's daughter's compassion for a Hebrew baby to overcome oppression and injustice, to bring freedom to all people. Today, God continues to raise up women to build a more moral and just and compassionate society for all people. And there, God's reign is seen on earth as it is in heaven. So we as a people, as a society, and as a church are faced with a choice. We can continue to neglect and ignore and undervalue women, to block women from fully participating in all aspects of our society and all aspects of the church. Now I mean big C church, because at this church, we fully appreciate the gifts that our women have to offer, that Eugenia and Tracy have to offer, that Marianne offers, that all of our women in leadership and those who work behind the scenes in the places that we don't see have to offer. But in the big C church, we still have work to do. We can demand control still. We could continue to choose to demand control over women's bodies, to control their birthing stools. And while we look the other way when women are sexually harassed or abused or assaulted, now I'm talking in particular to the men. We can choose to live like Pharaoh, to take advantage of our position of power and our physical strength to abuse women 
physically and mentally or especially sexually, causing mental anguish through language that makes women feel like they are only bodies and not whole valued people. Or we can choose to follow our Lord, our God, to be a part of God's salvation, God's healing of the brokenness in the world that brings down the mighty and lifts up the lowly. God's salvation that is working to bring us all together into one body where many parts are valued, where the strength and the role of each person, the men and the women, is valued and honored where we can elevate and value the women in our lives and the unique gifts God has given them and recognize God's power at work in places that the world has considered weak. We can celebrate the power God has given to women and the part that they play in God's plan. But I think that Maya Angelou said it better than I ever can in her poem, Phenomenal Woman, which I'll read a portion of. Now you understand just why my head's not bowed. I don't shout or jump about or have a talk real loud. When you see me passing, it ought to make you proud. I say it's in the click of my heels, the bend of my head, the palm of my hand, my need for my care. Because I'm a woman. Phenomenal. Phenomenal woman. That's me. Thanks be to God for phenomenal women. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.